0: And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto
1: salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ,
0: a call to live,
1: A call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. Today, we're talking with someone who's serving in a challenging context in Central Asia. James grew up in the Pacific Northwest, and while he confessed Christ at an early age, it was not until college that he became a believer in Jesus Christ. He moved away for medical school a few years later, where he met his wife, After getting married, he moved to the Southern United States where his first two kids were born. And since 2019, James and his family, now four kids in total, have been living in Central Asia, telling people about Jesus. I've been looking forward to this conversation. James, welcome to the
0: podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: Why don't we just start kind of big picture? Where are you? Give us an overview of your context, the people, the environment, the landscape, the culture.
0: For these last four, four and a half years, My family and I have been living in Central Asia. We've actually, we had to leave our first country unplanned and kind of against our will. Most of what I talk about today will probably focus on place number one. Both of the places are pretty similar. So the people in the place we were living are staunchly Muslim. They tend to have large families and they work very hard for little pay, and they often go unemployed. They are a friendly and hospitable people, which is a huge plus of living there. Many are quite needy because of the unemployment and poverty. So it's hard to know sometimes when somebody who is interested in you, actually, if they want to be your friend, or if they just want money or help getting a visa to the US or something like that. Islam is at the heart of the culture and rhythms of life at the daily, weekly and annual level. So on Fridays, they go to mosque and Similar to maybe Christians going to church. They also pray five times a day and many people go to the mosque five times every day just to do that. Also, their holiday schedule is strictly Islamic. They tend not to trust each other or outsiders so it can take some time to gain people's trust. And also, interestingly, in their culture, time is not an object. It's quite different than our Western culture. They often sit for hours drinking tea and and just chatting about life, often sitting in silence even for extended periods of time. And this is all normal for them. In place number one, we were living in a small mountain city, about thirty to 40,000. And it was an interesting place to live. And our heart still feels connected to there, but also hard in a lot of ways. Electricity was only around most evenings from six to 10 and most of the roads aren't paved. So it's quite dusty and also smells like animals and smoke. Most of the time Mm. we would walk most places. And in order to take a bath, we had to heat the water on the stove. And so it took a lot of time and in the winter, without central air we'd build fires several times a day just to keep it livable i don't mean 70 degrees i mean in the 50s Um, just a couple of the rooms in the house and so it's a lot of work it makes it a bit more difficult to live there we lived about 200 feet from the largest mosque in the province and so the call to prayer was very loud in our house and in our bedroom at 4 a.m you kind of learn to block it out after you've been there for some months but when you're awake and you hear it, it, we never really got over kind of the intense darkness that you mm. feel from it. And although that's difficult, it's also a good reminder to pray for the local lost people five times a day. So,
1: <laughs> My family and I lived in the Middle East. We had a similar situation where we had a mosque about 100 yards behind our house. And it was, uh, you know, we didn't need an alarm clock. That was always good to wake us up and get us moving in the morning. But like you said, a great reminder to, to be praying for these people who... Living in darkness and on a road that leads to an eternity separated from the Lord, you kind of gave a great overview there of of the context, the culture, the people, the religion. Are there any unique facts or things that people might not know about your context or location that you might find kind of interesting?
0: So, kind of overlapping with the unemployment, poverty is um, in, in Central Asia in general. Most places are fractured by war and. Poverty. And so many families are actually split apart because one or both spouses is out of country or or in another part of their own country looking for work. I think it's important to note where we are, it just sure feels like it has a stranglehold on the people. And, and I've heard this from several people and I've had the thought myself that it seems to be custom designed to refute Christianity. And so that that can be, of course, frustrating, but also it's just so deeply disturbing and sad and angry. Mm-hmm. And then third harsh treatment of converts by their family, their community, their government really presents a barrier to reception of the gospel.
1: James, I mentioned in the beginning that you're you're from the Pacific Northwest. You're not from Central Asia, but can you give us kind of quickly the brief story how a guy from the Pacific Northwest who went to medical school ended up in Central Asia?
0: So as you mentioned, I grew up in the church. I came to Christ in college, and then within a year or two at the most, God had burdened me with the strong sense that the direction in Matthew 28, it doesn't have to mean you go, it could mean you pray or you give, and probably most people aren't going to end up going. That's okay. But for me, it was always clear that I was meant to go. And so in all my schooling and training that I did for many, many years after high school, I had fixed my mind on going to some hard place where the gospel was not. So for those of you out there that may be looking to do something like I'm doing, and whether or not you're close or years off, I'll just say in my experience, like commit your way to the Lord and, and he'll make it clear to you. So scripture reading circumstances, continued personal drive and affirmation of different people in my life really helped kind of keep me on that course until it was time to go. And then of course, several years into that, I guess, journey toward the nations, if you will, I met my wife and she had a similar, but even probably more robust and longer standing sense of going to a hard place since she was eight years old. And so she had this burden, unreached, unengaged people group since then. So we started out this way. Like when we were dating, we both wanted that. And we actually had some conversations that clarified that if that's not what we're about, then we need to stop dating. <laughs> and I would say to you, you all out there that if you're serious about going overseas, you ought to have those conversations before you start dating someone or early on and just be okay, breaking it off. If you feel strongly and they don't. And so, so we prayed for about seven years after we got married about a location. Finally, we took this third trip together. And so it made it a harder trip, but it was so good and it was not fun, but it was good. I think that's a very key phrase that we need to know in our society today, that this work is not fun or easy, but it is good. And I'd heard that for many years from people, but we got to three that we took prayerfully together. My wife, for the first time, was like, yeah, I think we could live here. And I thought, well, that's pretty strange. This is a dangerous place, an unpleasant place. That must be from God. And so we started in that direction. And we said, Lord, if this is not the right place or direction, then please close the door. Then um, the door never closed. (laughs) So we went.
1: Well, thanks for sharing that, James. It's obvious when you talk about kind of the past and the way that the Lord led you here that you're passionate about the people and the place where He has you. I know it's not easy, and we'll get to that in a moment, but what is it about this place that makes it so special
0: to you? It's been really hard, and we don't really love living there. It's We have complicated emotions toward this place, yet God has knit my heart to that place and to those lost people. I went into this work, not really believing that. And I, I still don't really believe that we have a biblically, we don't say that, oh, there's one place for each person, you know, like God will only call you to one place. I think that God calls us to proclaim the gospel in hard places, mm-hmm. in, in the places that remain lost. We didn't go in thinking there can't be another place for us, but yet he knit our heart there. So I think one other thing, and maybe this is part of the knitting of the heart to the place, is that he's been nearer to me there than at other times in my life. And I don't want that to be the only reason we would go back to a place, even if it's too hard for my family to return or something like that, but that's special, you know? And I don't think that we are supposed to go to a place because it'll be a highlight reel or fun. Whatever suffering we endure, which the suffering we endure is so much less than local believers, we get to have a nearness to God that we didn't have. We didn't get to have before. That's what suffering with Christ does not just generic suffering in life, but when we lean into the Lord as we suffer because of the electricity going out of the internet or constant smokiness of our clothes or whatever it is, I didn't mention we moved a dozen times. I mean, that's, Mm. that was probably the single biggest difficulty of our term. Yet He is near to us in those moments. And that is something that, Like I wouldn't redo these four years for that reason. The simplicity of life too, I think is something that's special there.
1: You've alluded to several things, but if you had to summarize briefly one or two things, what makes this context a challenging place to do ministry?
0: I'm going to just list a bunch off. This is a (laughs) well under half, but I'm just going to list them off and let them explain themselves. So severe isolation without the ability to drive out of our city. Moving a dozen times, minimal electricity, heating the water on the stove to take a bath every single time for every member of our family. I mentioned fire building in the winter, which I used to love because it was like a fun outdoor activity and I still enjoy it, but not when I'm there having to do it for survival. No AC in the 100 degree summer. A big one is also inability to exercise outside of our walled yard. A sense of no privacy and no escape. Several days to travel out of our post and also several days to get back to our post. wears you out over time. Constant security risks, constant staring at my wife and my kids from others, sometimes me, but mostly them. Those are a few things.
1: Yeah. Thanks for sharing those. I mean, you've already described this, um, but what does life look like for you and your family, your wife and four kids?
0: I guess the nuts and bolts of our day and our week. Or something like this. Our schedule was in flux so much with all those moves. And so I would say that a major element of what life looks like for my family is losing things and relationships and routines and everything about a place when you have to move six countries and 12 times and all that stuff. But the goal and the aim, when we were in stable times, this is more or less what it looked like. We were in language learning, the two of us. And so our younger kids would have a nanny, a local nanny, about half the day while we were in language. And the older kids would be in homeschool, which mostly was my wife doing that, but I would help some. And then actually in the second country that we were living in, like, Of the two main places we lived, the second place that we lived, a big part of our life was my wife was teaching a trauma healing class for refugees in a counseling center. And then I was actually seeing patients medically kind of connected to that trauma healing class for her I think a day or two a week and then for me it was two to three days a week like half days and then um, yeah we're part of a house church of foreigners we in our region we tend not to church with locals because of the risk to them and then usually most weeks we would have a local family over or go to their house and then a handful of like quick visits with single people and so that we made it our aim to be with locals quite a bit and it's hard to do when you got little kids and And stuff like that but that's why we're there so
2: reaching a specific people group with the gospel demands specialized training and a global vision southern seminary supports these ministry goals through theological education that is trusted for truth a degree in missiology from southern seminary provides students with the biblical foundation and theological training necessary to take the gospel into all the world The program prepares graduates to serve as missionaries, church planters, and ministry leaders anywhere in the world. To learn more about Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and doctoral degrees available through the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary, go to sbts.edu/bgs, Or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. There, you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. The web address again is sbts.edu bgs.
1: Obviously, you've described many of the challenges and what makes this a very difficult and hard context. But on the flip side, can you tell us a little bit about what the Lord is doing, how He is at work,
0: what is encouraging to you? Just a few months ago, I received news from country number one, government turmoil there has actually led to a lot of people reconsidering or re, kind of realizing Islam is not the way to God. And mm-hmm. they're now coming to faith in Christ as they see the love of God in Christ and in his people. And then in country number two, I alluded to it, the trauma healing class coupled with some medical work for the first time. I and mean, we were over for a little over four years for, for the first four years, None of the fruit you hope for, meaning souls won to Christ, that did not happen even a single time for four years. And then for about two months at the end of our term, we were starting to see, well, probably about three or four months, really. There was a lot of sharing going on in the medical work. And then, of course, the trauma healing class, and people were being softened in the group setting. And then I think more ready for to ask in a private setting questions about. Jesus and expressed interest in the Bible. And so there's been a lot of people that are wanting the Bible, whether they get a copy or just read it on their phone. Mm. And about 10 to 12 people have now come to faith. Um, Mm. Probably back in the late spring. Yeah. Praise God. Late spring, early summers when that was going on. And I haven't gotten an update on those numbers in the last few months, but God has chosen, like you see in John three, like the Spirit blows where it will, and we don't really, we don't know where it comes from, when it's coming, or where it's going, but we see its effects, and we can share and share and share, like we've been doing for four years, probably at least a couple hundred times, and zero fruit, and then suddenly there's share eighty or hundred times, and then you get maybe twelve people come to faith, and thirty more people are reading the Bible, and
1: that's exciting. That's very encouraging to hear. I want to shift to some lightning round, kind of quicker hitting questions. You've been serving in a variety of different contexts now over the last four years. So would love to hear your perspective and your opinion. What do you think it takes to be a faithful servant in an extreme place?
0: I will say that a theme that has really been driven home to me is that it's not about ability, although ability does matter some. It's about character and walk with God. So you got to have a firm understanding that this world is not our home, you got to have a willingness to let go of professional and Western identity and productivity so that you may stand in the gap for lost people. Um, This is a huge one that sends people home. They I'm a doctor, so I didn't get to do a ton of medicine and I struggle with it and people will struggle when they're speaking language like a two-year-old for months and months. It's a struggle. Number three, a willingness to joyfully accept plundering of one's goods. If you have to leave and things get looted or, you just never get to see your stuff again. That is actually a joy. Not that we always saw it that way, but that's important. And then finally, we've got to have a firm handle on, on God who is not just an idea. And I think the circles I've come from and in my own mind as a thinker, like a theological person, like, into to think a lot about things, he is not just an idea, but an ever present person who is in control of our sickness Our housing instability, baby births, our sense of ineptitude all the time, our depression, physical injury, safety of ourselves and our families. It is actually God who is leading us into the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23. And when difficult times come, we're just kind of following suit with our Savior because he is God and gave that up to get in the mud with us and then be tortured and killed after he was persecuted for years. And so we are leaning into being more like Jesus as we trust that God is the one leading us into this dark place or dark part of our life. And he's doing it on purpose.
1: You can take this in a silly direction, a scary direction, a serious direction, the craziest and most shocking thing you have seen or experienced over these last four years.
0: If I'm honest, it's the juxtaposition of The contrast with these ladies in the trauma healing group and medical work that are coming to faith was that the year before was when the bulk of like my sharing the gospel was happening on this term. I had reached the right level of language and we're in a place, country number two, where it's maybe a little freer to share. And I shared with lots of people, well over a hundred people with zero response. And then just in a matter of months, getting invited to this medical work that my wife was already doing this other trauma healing work. And then seeing this is what John 3 means. The spirit is blowing in this place. I didn't change my method. The message is the same. And it was his prerogative to save some. And I think he's probably drawing others in and they'll be saved soon maybe. But that was shocking to me. And I look back on it and it doesn't get old. What is one thing
1: you wish you knew before you arrived in Central Asia?
0: We had a lot of people that we knew that we're in hard places or in the past we're in hard places. And so we went in with our eyes up. We had a lot of information. Yeah, we had heard a lot of experiences of people. So I feel like we had a lot of information. But one thing experientially, which you can't really gain until you go there, I would say that the weightiness and constancy of Jesus' statement and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what I wish that I knew. And I know better now than I did what that actually means, knowing that as you are obeying me, I'm with you in a special way and that will never stop. And so those low points of which there were many for us on our term, I just wish I probably would have saved myself a lot of heartache if I really could lean into him in those moments before I did anything else.
1: If some of our listeners are wanting to learn more about your people, the religion, the culture, the context, your work, is there a, a book, a movie, a video, is there a resource that you might point them to?
0: I think it may have been mentioned on prior podcasts, but really anything by Peter Hopkirk, who is the author of The Great Game, which has been mentioned previously, but there's two other titles I can think of that, that he wrote that are really good kind of overview of Central Asian culture and history. Foreign Devils on the Silk Road is one, and then hmm. Trespassers on the Roof of the World,
1: Thank you for providing those. That's helpful. Last question, James. If you were talking to somebody just like you, maybe serving in a different context around the world, or you were talking to yourself four years ago, or maybe you're talking to somebody else four years from now, how would you encourage people who are working in hard and difficult environments?
0: What would you say to them? I want to preface this first. I want to speak to the person who's looking at going to the hard places. If you have that burden, you need to go. Not many people have the burden. The need is great. Don't wait for an open door. Remember my story, my wife and I's story. Like that was really helpful for us. We need to switch our thinking. Don't wait for an open door. Pray. Move toward a UUPG, Unreached, Unengaged People Group. Take a trip if you need to or whatever, and then wait for a closed door as guidance. We have every pressure in the world, internal, in inside our own selves, and in the culture, and even in the church, is against you going to a hard place. So just go. And if the door gets closed, then it gets closed. I would add, so just, that was a preface, but hard is not wrong or bad. Okay. Hmm. This is something, especially my generation and probably younger really struggles with as a Christian, hard usually means you're doing the right thing. (laughs) And so when you go and you share hundred times and zero people receive the truth. It's because that place is dark and you need to stay there. So hard is not bad. It's it's hard <laughs> and let it drive you to Christ. That loneliness, at least he's with you. Just remember that. Okay. And so don't be surprised when life is hard for the sake of winning the lost. He is with you. Language learning is a marathon, not a sprint. I get this all the time from my leadership language learning, which is one of the most frustrating parts for a lot of people about this whole lifestyle it's a marathon, not a sprint. So just keep going. Okay. Jesus is worth it. Keep going. And in general language and everything else, I, I've climbed some mountains like glaciers and there's times at altitude and you're in the dark and it's miserable and your feet are cold and you can't see anything. You just need to put one foot in front of the other and just pick it up. That came to my mind so many times that physical sort of climb came to my mind as I was doing that in life. Just like, okay, okay. I'm tired, but I'm going to get up today. I feel paralyzed with language. I feel, I feel useless here. Then you know what? Just have a quiet time that day. Call it good. And whatever else comes your way. Great. Just put one foot in front of the other. Do the things, you know, you need to do and you can do. Read your Bible, pray, love your family well, and keep going. And then I would say priorities, which so easily get mixed up. God is number one. And when you put him number one, all these things that are pressing around you, your family. So your wife, your kids. Those are two and three. And then your ministry, which would include language in my mind, that's that's four. And there are times temporally when something takes precedence over, like maybe you might miss your quiet time one day because an emergency comes up. Okay, that, that's one thing. But you better have you need to have your quiet time every day. And you need to be loving your family well, keep things in their right place, and everything else in the priority line will be best served if each priority is in its right place place. So you put ministry number one, you're going to do worse at ministry than you would if ministry was number four and God was number one. And so it's hard to do when, when life hits the fan and you're moving all over the place or you're scared because something's dangerous or whatever, keep those priorities. And then I would say regular date night with your spouse. And if you need to get a babysitter, do it a weekly and daily, like weekly and daily family habits. So for example, pizza movie night, Every Friday is what we do. And then pancake day, one of the, one of the weekend breakfasts, we have pancakes every week. And then even just doing an outdoor outing of some sort every week, drinking lots of tea with locals, sitting with them. It feels like you should be studying or something, but remember that's language. You're getting language and you're getting credibility with the people you're making friends and you're going to have spiritual discussions. And that's one of the only ways you ever will is if you sit with them and be on their schedule. And then finally, the goal of your first term is to come back second term. That is the goal. And so when you feel all these other things falling out from under you, your productivity is terrible, your identity is kind of fall out from under you. You're not doing what you're trained to do in medicine or whatever your job is. Um, you're failing at it seemingly everything, but you're still there and just keep going and come back second term and you succeeded first term there.
1: James, thank you so much for your time and for the conversation today. Hey, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thank you again for listening to this episode.
0: Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.